Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Welcome on a very special guest, a recurring guest, a, a really good friend of the program. It is uh, our boy. It's Mr. Uh, Tony Ronaldo. How's it going, pal? Hey, man, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. It's really good to be back. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it's going to be just me and you tonight. Uh, it's funny because you're, you're Spenny's friend originally, and that's how we, uh, we got to know you a little bit. But he's on a bachelor party right now, and uh, he's, you know, three sheets to the wind, as I described to you before we got going. So he's not going to be hopping on here with us. It's going to be just me and you, man. Um, which, you know, that's great. In fact, I think we did develop a little bit of a bond this year. Now that I think about it, meeting in person, uh, just kind of on a whim. Yeah. I ran into you at, uh, my local watering hole, my favorite place to go. And, um, was really surprised. Dude, you're, you're sneaky tall, man. Like you're, I don't, I don't know if the viewers know how tall you really are. I don't know if you do a good enough job marketing that for yourself. Um, confirmed very tall guy. I might need to market that a little bit better. I think I try to sneak it in there every now and again that uh, Spencer and I both are actually kind of kind of low-key units. I think people yeah. might be surprised. You know, you think podcaster, you might not think that that necessarily. But, uh, yeah, man, checking in at, uh, you know, probably probably pushing 6'3", maybe a little bit closer to 6'2", actual. But uh, dating app 6'3", is what I call it. Um, so, yeah, um, it was great to meet you then. It's great to talk to you now. And I guess for... The uninitiated, you know, we're picking up new listeners all the time. How about you uh, give our guests a quick rundown of uh, who you are and what it is that you do? Absolutely. Um, so I'm the associate head coach and offensive coordinator of the varsity football team in the Boys Latin School of Maryland, uh, which is located in North Baltimore in the Roland Park neighborhood. Prior to coaching here at Boys Latin, um, I made a few different stops at other prep schools in the Baltimore metro area. And then I coached collegiately at the scholarship level. Uh, I coached at a Division II program up in New England for a little bit. Um, so big-time fan of the podcast, um, you know, big-time fan of Baltimore sports. And anytime we have an opportunity to catch up, I love it just because I like talking ball, talking life, and uh, hopefully give the viewing audience and the listening audience, you know, something to consume. Definitely. It is always fun when you stop by, too. And I do like the uh, – I'm not going to call it the pander, but I do like the wardrobe going on here with the, uh, the O's hat who uh, had a – Nice win today up in uh, Toronto, and then you got the uh, the old school uh, Frederick, uh, whatever that guy's name is, logo uh, Baltimore Ravens T-shirt. I think those are some uh, those are some grails right there, man. 
Thanks. Yeah, I was feeling a little nostalgic. I've been doing a lot of cleaning lately and organizing. I came across these bad boys the other day and, uh, you know, figured uh, figured it'd have to be the move for the for the podcast here. Yeah, definitely. And you also got the flag in the background there, which, uh, you know, I don't really know exactly what your heritage is or anything like that. You really don't talk about that a ton. But, uh, yeah, that's 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 a pretty sweet flag you got back there. Appreciate it. Shout out to all my paisans out there in Baltimore. Definitely. So jumping right into this, I guess I think we ask this pretty much every year. And I'll ask it to you again, obviously. How would you sum up the state of Maryland high school football in 2022 right now? It's extremely competitive and it's ever progressing too. at the same time. Um, so the conference that I coach in is the MIAA, which is made up of you know, vast majority of the private schools in the Baltimore metro area. Um, there's the WCAC, which is, you know, the Washington Catholic athletic conference. Uh, that's also, you know, proximal. So these two athletic conferences, I, you know, are, I think are pretty well known nationally. They produce, you know, tons of guys that go on to play the next level. Um, they're the schools that I think a lot of the, the youth football players in greater Maryland, the Baltimore metro area, the DC metro area, you know, want to, want to go to and want to, want to get these educations at and because they know that the resources at these schools are incredible and that, um, you know, these schools and these institutions can really use those resources uh, to help young men from, you know, greater Maryland, greater Baltimore, greater DC area, get to the next level. Definitely. Uh, so it's, it's, it's crazy competitive. Um, there's, it's an arms race in every capacity, whether it be recruiting, you know, getting guys in, getting guys out, um, you know, from the collegiate side, you know, college coaches know that this is an area where they can go and find really, really great talent. So, you know, top down, it's, it's extremely competitive. How was last season for you guys as a group? And how does, how does that like play into your recruiting? Like what's that process looking like right now for you? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. You know, uh, we wanted to win a championship. We didn't put a banner up. Unfortunately, we lost in the semifinals. So, I mean, there's definitely high points of the season, but we didn't do what we were supposed to do and what we needed to do and what we wanted to do. So we're just going to reload. And how you can kind of spin recruiting to that is, you know, it, it's, it's, there's duality in that, right? So if you are the team that wins the championship, you get to go out to the rec fields or to clinics or camps or whatever and say, we're the guys, right? You know, and they get to show off the rings and the gear and the swag and all that good stuff. And they get to flood their social media accounts with it and say, you know, that's what we do here. We win championships, come be a part of it. Um, for us though, spin zone, right? Lost in the semifinals, we're one game away. We need guys like you to come in here and help our program turn the corner. We need difference makers. We need, we need dogs that want to compete. And, you know, not that we put like a salesman-esque, you know, pitch behind it. It, it really is authentic. And, um, you know, we tell guys all the time, that come, you know, to shadow our campus or to, you know, come to visit, come to a practice, come to a workout, whatever it may be. We say, hey, you know, we love you. You know, we can talk to you about this all day. But at the end of the day, if it's not the right vibe, if it's not the best thing for you and for your family, um, you know, please, you know, we won't be offended. You know, don't feel pressured. So just, you know, after the season ended, um, you know, we're, we're super grateful. We're really blessed to have a lot of great families, a lot of great prospective student athletes express interest, you know, in our school. You know, they want to get a really good education. They know that, you know, academically we provide unrivaled resources because you can be the best football player in the world. Um, if you're not academically eligible, if you're not academically recruitable, your path becomes a little convoluted. 
right? And there's going to be a greater resistance present. So I, I think that, you know, the Boys Latin School of Maryland has a great reputation academically. And, um, you know, guys, guys like really, really want to compete. That's not limited to just on the field. You know, that carries over to the classroom, too. And that's what we foster. You know, we don't want you to just be a dog on the field. We want you, to, you know, weight room, field, film, study hall, you know, free period, get your work done in class, front row, that kind of thing. Interesting. You touched on social media there. I'm curious, like, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but how do you guys like employ that in, in the recruiting process? Cause I know you're, you're on social media a little bit. We're about the same age and I think we kind of use it in similar ways. Like <laughs> you're not like making TikToks or anything I'm guessing for like recruiting and stuff like that. Are you kind of just like telling the kids like, Hey, you know, feel free to like blast this stuff out on your social media and see if that's going to attract, uh, attract other new prospects. Yeah, no. Nah, the day TikTok becomes a thing in, in my profession is the day I stop doing it, man. <laughs> um, I, I refuse to go down that that alley. Um, but to answer your question, it, it's little things. It's you know, Twitter is the main platform I think in, in the football landscape right now. You know, collegiately um, at the high school level, prep school level, whatever. Um, to personalize the recruiting experience, what you'll see is you know, edits or graphics, whatever you want to call them you know, some type of, you know, whether it's Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop or, you know, Bizarre, whatever app you use as a, as a football staff, you need to create personalized content to send to kids, right? This is a, this is a very delicate, you know, generation of athlete and they like to make, you know, make them feel special and, you know, send them a personalized phone background, send them a personalized Twitter banner, or, you know, do a photo mock-up of them in their, their favorite number only instead of their rec jersey, it's a boys' Latin jersey. You know, you do things like that to kind of show, hey, we care about you. Um, this is for you. It's personalized. It's not, um, you know, a mass recruiting thing that every kid's getting. And, you know, in addition to that, on the business cards, right, it's not just your phone number, your name, and your email, or, you know, the link or, um, you know, the URL or whatever to the admissions portal to, you know, fill out an application for admissions, right? It's evolved to, you know, your Instagram tag and your Twitter tag and all that good stuff too, because that that's how, you know, this, the generation of athlete or, you know, from a marketing standpoint, my target market uses these social media vehicles and that's what you need to be good at. That's what you need to be proficient with. And you have to, whether you like it or not, right? Because everyone else in our marketplace is doing it. You know, every other school is doing it, so you got to keep up. It's an arms race, and you know, kind of like we said in the opening, it's it's incredibly competitive with recruiting. To what extent does that affect like on-field product at all, like if at all? Like direct translation from like re recruiting to output. I mean, like recruiting or like just the technology aspect going into kids getting on the field, and I guess where I'm driving at is how maybe that affects their psychology a little bit. Cause I think you've talked, you touched on that a little bit uh, in what we were kind of just talking about there about how it's a different generation. How does like social media play into recruiting kids psychologically and like how they feel about themselves when they first get into the program. And I guess all the way through. Well, the mentality of everything is, I mean, it, it's vastly different from, you know, a little over a decade ago, you know, when I played and, you know, I'm, you know, not on paper, not that, that much older than these kids that I'm coaching, but I feel like I'm so far removed from them generationally because this is a generation of instant gratification. And th that's what social media is in a way, right? You put out a tweet or you create certain content, whether it be an Instagram post or whatever, and you're, you're looking to see your engagement. 
your virtual engagement. And that's how a lot of people, I guess, can assess their value or their worth in a social media space, right? Like if you're a company or, or say, you know, say you don't want to look at it from a corporate lens. Like if you're just an individual, right? If you're not getting a lot of likes on your posts or you're not getting retweets or whatever it is, it's like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, not where I need to be, you know? And we try to really just kind of combat that and that mindset with intentional coaching and positive reinforcement and just building authentic relationships that start in the recruiting process. And it, it carries out and it develops over, over, you know, four years, right? So that kid that you meet on a rec field, you know, at a camp or something like that, going into his eighth grade season, you get to know him a little bit. You know, uh, we don't communicate with the kids directly that much, um, you know, for a number of reasons. Uh, we communicate mostly with, you know, the parents. Every now and again, we'll send them like a, hey, you know, what's up, checking in text. But 99% of the communication occurs between the coaching staff and, you know, the parents and everything like that. Um, and there's a process to it, you know, institutionally that we follow. We make sure we do everything the right way in the proper order with getting kids on our campus and, you know, um, showing kids all we have to offer. And like, from there, you figure out what they like and what they don't like, you know, how they learn best. You know, you can kind of go to their practices and, and their games and see what type of coaching they respond well to. And then, you know, us as, as coaches, we have to be students and we have to learn and we have to understand and interpret. Okay. You know, so-and-so doesn't react great when, you know, coach says this, or, you know, he can really take hard coaching and he responds really well to that level of, you know, direct feedback. I'm going to make sure that I employ that in my coaching of him, you know, when he gets here. And, you know, a lot of character development goes into what we do. Um, we're not a factory. We don't just care about, you know, input kids coming in, whether they be eighth graders or transfers from other high schools and then output when they go to play at the next level. It's, there's a lot of, of process that matters to us. And I, I think the large note of that is the character development side. And uh, more than ever, there's a greater focus on social and emotional health with young men, which I think is an incredible movement. I think it's super important and super necessary. Um, but going back to the original thought here, man, like the, the generation of like instant gratification, we're just trying to let these young guys know that like, hey, like your worth is not dependent upon engagements or what, you know, other people necessarily may say or not say. It's, it's about, you know, doing the right thing, you know, whether you're in a stadium full of 2000 people or doing the right thing when you're alone, you know, and that's what we try to drive home. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I feel like people in the baby boomer generation, and I guess even Gen X to an extent probably said that about our generation, the instant gratification thing. We were really kind of the first ones. I think that the social media era kind of, kind of hit hard. And I'm curious from your perspective, how do you combat that instant gratification thing? You know, to what extent do you have it? How do you combat it? And what, are, you know, how have you evolved over the years as a coach and how do you learn best? I guess, you know, a little bit of a four pronged question there, which is just great on my part, but you know, you could, uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to the first part of that question, um, you know, we just, you know, we have these authentic relationships and, and we can, you know, we can tell these kids of instant gratification, like, look, Hey, you're a senior. And you don't have the division one offers that, you know, you think you may have had or may have wanted. Here's why you're not a division one kid. Or we say, hey, you know, your grades not where they need to be or your film's not where it needs to be. And when you keep everything 100 percent above the board, you do things the right way and you foster those authentic relationships. You can tell a kid and his family that. You don't have to string them along and say, hey, you know, well, maybe if you, you know, maybe if you turned it up a little bit and, oh, yeah, you know, we just need to wait on your senior film and then the offers will come. Like, no, like, we're not going to drag kids along. There are coaches that do that. 
Um, so to answer the first part of that question, um, it just comes to knowing your guys and having your guys know you and understanding life. Like, yeah, I'm here to coach football and win games and, you know, move the chains and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, like, I'm going to have way more former players of mine go on to be like good dads, husbands, boyfriends, brothers, whatever, than I will produce NFL athletes. Fact. So I obviously cater way more to like producing better future husbands, fathers, you know, all that good stuff rather than just, you know, focusing on, you know, just a sport model. Um, and I'm not, you know, in rare company, you know, I think most staffs do do that. And I want to go ahead and give the benefit of the doubt that most high school football coaches are in tune with that. Um, me personally, right. Being someone that is younger. Um, I spend a lot of time around like quote unquote, like old heads, like dudes that have been in the industry for a long time when I was like first starting to cut my teeth. And, um, like I, I didn't go to, you know, a Baltimore area prep school. So I wasn't really hip to this universe that I work in now. It's a really unique space. And, you know, if you're not from the Baltimore, greater, greater Baltimore area, you you might not understand, but you know, in Baltimore, if you're at a bar or a function or the mall or whatever, you bump into somebody and say, Oh, Hey, like, where'd you go to school? Like, they're not asking about where you, you got your undergrad or where you went to college. You know, they, they want to know, you know, which of the, the private schools in this area you went to. And, um, again, that did not apply to me when I started in this profession nine years ago. So I kind of saw a lot of the, the grit that, uh, the generation of coaches before me put in, like, I, like, I will honestly say I've never lined a field. I've never once lined a field. And like, that's like a classic coaching cliche is like, oh yeah, well, I remember I used to go out there and line the field. Like I've never, like, I've always coached on turf dog. You know what I'm saying? Like I walk out to the turf, the field's there. It's lines are permanent. Um, you know, when I was coaching collegiately, <coughs> excuse me, my head coach, um, he's a great guy. We still have a good relationship. Um, prior to him being the head coach of the division two school, I was at, he was the O-line coach at a power five school. And he was like, you know, when I was your age and I was in this profession, we would have to like physically cut like strands of tape and put together like highlight reels and put in the film projector. And then that evolved to like the, the VHS tapes. Right. And then like, I would have to drive four and a half hours to meet a coach from the opponent staff in a parking lot and then drive all the way back. And that's how we would exchange film where like myself and any other coach in this current age, like we don't do that. Like we do our film exchanges digitally. So, you know, we upload our film an hour after the fourth quarter ends and it's there and we immediately start tagging it for our guys to see. And we exchange it with our opponent from the coming. Like I've never done that kind of thing. So I have a great deal of respect. Like, you know, for, for younger coaches in the industry too, but like, especially for the older generation. And I think the best way I show that is by how I handle myself, you know, with levels of professionalism, like not expecting to, you know, just have everything be instantly accessible. And like, I personally don't value like my coaching ability, you know, on the engagement piece or what, what my social media is like, like I care about my former players and I, and I have this already, like, dudes that are coming back to campus being like, Hey man, like I, I really appreciate you and what you did. Like whether they were a big time contributor at a big time school or they're just a role player, you know, division three, whatever on, on a team. Like, Hey, like I love, I love playing for you. That inspired me to go get my, you know, my education here or there or whatever. And, and that's the stuff that I really like. That's my gratification. So I kind of, I've had this understanding that it's a more of a long play anyway, in this industry, like the return on investment, it's not going to be short term in anything you do. Uh, I think in the football landscape. 
So you touched on some good things there that were leading into it. Something else that I was curious about, which is which coaches, whether you know them or not, whatever level they're at, which coaches do you kind of model yourself after? Um, you, you know, I, to answer this question, like I, my mind's not even going to X's and O's, man. It's going to, you know, like the character side, like the player coach, um, I guess, category of, of guys out there. And, you know, there's people and, you know, not to be, you know, hometown biased or anything like that. And I'm not saying I really even model myself after him in any capacity, but like I know John Harbaugh, he's widely regarded as a player's coach, right? A locker room guy, a guy that knows the climate. He knows the temperature in the room. He can change the thermostat when he needs to. Um, and, and that's the type of coach that I, I kind of strive to be. Um, there's been coaches in my own, you know, my personal journey. I don't know if you're asking like for specific dudes, uh, but there's been, you know, distinguished individuals that have really, really shown me what it means to be like an incredible coach and very little of that has to do with scheme. So what's one thing that you think you learned from them? And let's just focus on one thing that you think you try to do every day and that you'll take into the future. Yeah, man. Um, honestly, I, the best example that comes to my mind is not even something related to football. Like I'll, I'll get back to that question in a second, but I think it's important to, to shine a light on this. Uh, there was a period of time, very, very brief window of time where um, I was not working in football. So I resigned the position in December of 2018. Um, you know, our season had ended in November and that's the prime time, you know, for college turnover, right? So all the colleges do their hiring, you know, different parts in the calendar year, but like November, December, January is like the hottest time for college hiring. And I resigned from the school that I was teaching and coaching at uh, because I really wanted to be like fully into my job search. And, you know, I, I've spoken on previous podcasts and in past interviews, it does a little naive on my part, right? Like don't, you might not want to quit a job until you have one lined up for sure. It was kind of like a leap of faith. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of this time buffer where I, I wasn't active in coaching. I wasn't working in education. It was a, a layover, if you will. It was about a month, month and a half long uh, between the time I resigned my college or my high school OC job to when I took a position coach job at uh, St. Anselm College. And obviously, you know, you need, everybody needs work. Your boy needed to work and needed employment. And, um, I was, I was laying carpet. Um, it was, you know, it was awesome because it was something, you know, very useful for me to learn. Um, it was very physical, which I kind of liked. Um, you know, I didn't have to go to the gym after work. You know, I was <laughs> beating myself up every day. And, um, I went out to the truck one time to get something with the guy I was laying carpet with in, in Baltimore. And, uh, He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, what, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm grabbing a co like my coffee from the truck. He goes, what are you, like, why, why are you doing that? And he's like, anytime you go to the truck, you take something. Anytime you come from the work truck, you bring something. I mean, you know, for the, for the people listening to this, if, if you work in any kind of like hands-on trade, like, you know that there's always something that needs to be there or maybe doesn't need to be on the site any longer. So you can always be productive by bringing something and taking something. And, you know, very metaphorically, I try to digest that and apply that every single day uh, because there are some days where I was like laying carpet and, you know, breaking up steps and, you know, drilling through subfloor. I'm like, damn, dude, like, I, I, I really hope I get a coaching job again soon because like this kind of like, <laughs> this is, it's not the move for me, man. You know, like I'm, I'm, I was humbled and grateful to have work, but I was, I was kind of like, you know, like I said, naive at the time. I thought my resume was heavy enough for me to just jump from a high school position to a college position not the case. Um, 
So I, I try to kind of bring that with me. Um, and every day contribute something and learn something, whether it's from a kid, like their body language or, you know, something very minimal like that, um, or something large scale. Um, another, another example I'll give is of <clears throat> my, one of my mentors. I actually talked to him earlier today. I was mid-workout. He called me and I stopped working out for like 30 minutes to talk to him. Uh, he was the first head coach that hired me when I was first getting into coaching. His name is Donald Davis. He was the former head coach of Calvert Hall College High School. He's the current head coach at Sidwell Friends in D.C. And uh, my first summer working for Coach Davis at Calvert Hall, there was a youth camp. And he's like, Tone, you know, youth camp, you know, great way to be around kids. You get to kind of fine tune the machine a little bit. You're not coaching our guys internally. You're young. You have no mileage on your odometer. Work the camp. You'll get an envelope at the end of the week. You're a young guy. Like, do it, right? He's like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, week is great. You know, hectic, chaotic, long, stressful, whatever you want to call it. But that fifth day of the camp came, and that was envelope day. And your boy was pretty pumped, right? I wanted to get that envelope. Earned that envelope that week. You know, middle of the summer, hot as hell, bunch of little kids running around. Like, I was exhausted. I was broke, <laughs> you know? Um, I was 19 or 20 years old, and uh, he's handing out checks to all the coaches that worked in the middle of the field on the 50-yard line. And uh, we had, like, players of ours that were in the program kind of helping, like, facilitate the camp and, like, lead the drills and be, like, the instructors. Um, and, you know, they did a lot of the, the work, and they would shepherd kids from station to station. And, um, you know, Coach Davis was handing out these stipends, you know, in, in an envelope, and we we're going and collecting. And then these kids, right, kids in the program started, like, walking up to Coach Davis and, you know, kind of, like, with their handout. And, like, Coach Davis didn't say, like, no, you're not getting something, like, you didn't work, you know, you're not an official camp instructor, whatever, like that. Like when he ran out of envelopes, he pulled out his own wallet and was like sliding kids' bills. And part of me was like, what the hell are you doing? And then I thought about it, like that would never be lost upon me. I'll never forget that. Like the generosity and the empathy and then like just the love and understanding of like, you know, making it merit-based, right? You know, kid earned that. Like he came and he worked, even though he wasn't like an official, like, you know, coach, coach or whatever. And um, I, I just think that that goes a long way. And not that I'm going to be standing at 50 sliding, you know, bills to kids that work my camps or anything like that anytime soon. Um, but if I can do that in other ways, right. And, and really, you know, make kids know their value. Um, every opportunity I have to do that, I definitely take it. That's awesome. So we touched a little bit on what last year was like for you. What's uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're coming up on this, this coming season. I mean, I've seen people say, Oh, football, you know, it's still, still a while away, but it's only two months. And you know, when you're, you're, you're getting older, the, the days go by a lot quicker and it's going to be here before we know it. So what are, what's the temperature like with the uh, boys Latin football program heading into 2022? What are the goals? How are you applying some of the stuff you've learned to, uh, to the guys that you're coaching? You're nine, baby. Let's do it. The temperature is 75, 75 and sunny is where we're at, baby. That's the weather. Um, the expectation is to win a championship every single year. Um, we're going to compete in everything we do, classroom, weight room, field. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the process part is, you know, making it enjoyable. Like you ask a lot of ball players, regardless of what level they make it to, what the highlight of their playing career was. Most of them will probably say, oh, you know, just the memories I had with my boys, you know, and, you know, guys like, oh yeah, like I had a lot of high school teammates at my wedding or up on the, like, ultimately, like we're, we're fostering kids. We're helping kids foster relationships and, and brotherhood and stuff like that. That's life lasting. You know, it's not for four years, it's for forever. Um, 
And in the meantime, we're going to win games. We're going to put a lot of points on you. Um, and that's what we work for every single day. You know, not just win, but try to win by a lot. Try to win as, by as many points as possible. Um, you know, being okay is not okay. You know, we want to foster winners um, because that translates to, like I said, you know, earlier, really good, you know, husbands, boyfriends, fathers, people in the workplace, whatever. You know, we, we want them to carry that drive beyond their stay on 822 West Lake Avenue. So we, we touched on this a little bit with like the mentality side of things. What is the, the balancing act like of keeping that long-term goal in mind and also keeping them focused in the short term, like just for a day's practice, for example, because like you, you said, the attention spans are a lot different. The, you know, the goals for some of them are a lot different. What is that whole balancing act like? Yeah, it's, it, it's engagement. It's the same way it has to be in the classroom. And as a classroom educator, I feel like I can take a lot of the instructional techniques that I use and kind of use that in a coaching capacity Teaching is coaching and coaching is teaching. Um, you know, so instructional variety. You know, there's there's more than one way to reach a particular outcome, you know, doing different drills every every day while still having a little bit of a homepage to refresh and go back to a model of consistency. Um, using consistent language, using intentional language, positive language, all that good stuff. And one of the unique things about my the institution, you know, where I work at at Boys Latin is that we thrive off the multiple um, sport athlete model. Like a lot, like most of our dudes are not just football guys. A lot of them are, you know, involved in lacrosse, basketball, or baseball. And I think that helps prevent burnout as well. You know, so we have dudes that are like heavy into like the club lacrosse scene here, which again, if you're not from the Baltimore area, you may not know that, you know, club lacrosse is like a call it, <laughs> you know, here around, around the Baltimore area. And um, talk about intensity, man. Sheesh, it's it's nuts and it's it's very demanding. And I think that our, our guys are really refreshed. Um, you know, our double sport athletes are refreshed when they come to football because they know what they're gonna get. They might not know exactly what they're gonna get in terms of like how we deliver, you know, the type of competitions that we have that day, but they know they're gonna compete. They know that there's a standard of excellence and they have two options to meet or to exceed. And I think by keeping that consistent you kind of prevent a lot of confusion or where are we going with this thing? Um, you know, everyone in the company knows the mission statement, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts on like specialization of a sport where like a parent, a parent or, you know, a pair of parents specialize their kid in soccer or football, whatever it might be versus the multi-sport thing, because every like pro athlete I hear is like, that's, that's bullshit. Basically like people should, play multiple sports growing up to help them kind of unlock their full potential and, you know, everything athletic. What are you, what are your thoughts on that kind of dynamic? Yeah. So as someone that recruited, you know, the scholarship level coach collegiately, I always, if there's a 50, 50, right. On paper, the same exact kid, same GPA, whatever, whatever. One kid was a multiple sport athlete and the other kid was just a football kid. Every single time I leaned in favor of the multiple sport athlete, um, huge proponent of it. I don't think that specialization needs to come into the picture as early as it is. I don't want to speak in anything like in, in the sense of an like absolutist statement here. Um, but largely, I don't think specialization is necessary until maybe, you know, maybe a, a high school athlete is already committed verbally, right, to a certain institution for a certain sport. At that point, I can understand a specialization. But until that happens in the recruiting process, I really don't think there's a need to specialize. And I think there's a lot of, you know, great stuff to get out of playing multiple sports. You know, 
different different muscle groups. You're not doing the same exact motions of the same exact muscle groups every day. I think there's got to be an element of injury prevention there in some capacity. Now, granted, there's you know there's risk and hazard in everything you do. You you, you can get hurt driving. You can get hurt walking. You know, you can pull a muscle doing yard work, like whatever. Like there's inherent danger out there. But seeing kids that want to compete in different capacities, that's extremely appealing to me as a recruiter. Extremely appealing. What, uh, like, what is the level of influence of the higher levels on you guys? We, we talk about this basically every year, but I'm, I'm curious about the 2022 perspective on influence on you as a coach from higher levels, whether it's schematics or like we talked about philosophy and influence on players too. Like our players walking around and saying like, I want to be the next Aaron Donald or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think the influence is as great in terms of like on the, like direct application to on the field, like scheme. Like obviously there's like a, there's like a little bit of a delay, right? So you see something happening, you see a scheme trend or a personnel trend you know, on the field at the professional or the collegiate level. And then within a year or two, high school is going to start doing it, right? Look at the RPO and, and the evolution of the RPO and where that started, how that started. And then the trickle down economics behind, right? The implementation of a run pass option. Um, so there's some of that, but honestly, dude, like the biggest influence is like going back to the scope of recruitment. It's certain college coaches, want to see high school athletes go to and compete at certain prospect camps. Um, and then us as the high school coaches, we kind of have to be a little bit of a intermediate and be like, look, this camp is going to be worth you going to. You're going to go, you're going to compete in front of like legitimate, you know, college coaching. And th these are colleges you can realistically play at. But we also have to kind of filter out, you know, some not so great opportunities. Like, dude, like I know this guy messaged you, you know, on Twitter and invited you to come to this camp, but like, this is a cash grab camp, you know, it's going to be kind of big, you know, large enrollment when it's not really worth your time. Um, so I think the biggest influence is like that. And then like, in terms of direct player influence, because of the social media thing, man, you know, these, these kids follow everybody. They'll repost, you know, the cool stuff and who's doing what and who's doing what's in and, and things like that. And again, as us as the intermediary, us coaches have to be like, look, like Aaron Donald can do certain things you can't do. Right. Like we're not going to practice one hand catching ever. Like we're not, we're not going to do that. Like we're going to do a bad ball drill or, you know, something like that where like you have to like, we have our receivers, you know, make a realistic play on the ball. And sometimes all they can do is get one hand on it. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to practice that because you know, that direct directly translates to an in-game situation. Like we're real big on simulated combat uh, because when there's live rounds coming down range, like you, you got to be able to fight, you know, and, just seeing what's good, you know, what's good on TikTok, you know, somebody sitting five feet away from a jugs machine. Like, is that going to make you better at high school football? No. I'm curious as an offensive guy, if you're actively trying to learn more about defense and if that's something you're hoping to do more of this season. Yeah, man, absolutely. Like that is, that's been like the evolution and like kind of my growth as a coach, like my professional development when I first started was like hitting up like, you know, uh, offensive coordinators, you know, in the area, you know, the college level guys like, hey, can I come and sit in a room with you for 20 minutes? I promise I won't be annoying. I won't overstay my welcome. Please let me just like get on the board with you or can I watch some film? Um, the cool thing about like, I don't know, careful with my diction here, my word choice. I don't want to say like the cool thing about COVID, but like one of the advantages of a worldwide pandemic is that the distribution of knowledge and the sharing of information has never been easier. 
and like more like common practice, if that makes any sense. Like I don't have to drive down like University of Maryland at College Park and, you know, beg and plead to sit in with, you know, the OC like I like I used to or, you know, anything like that. Like I have all this information here. There's all these digital resources. So, yeah, I mean, I, I am always trying to learn, like, how would I beat me? Right. So I, I start internal. Start internal. Okay, this is what we do really, really good. Um, this is what I like. This is what I want to see. I put it on paper. I draw it up a thousand different ways. And then defensively, I'll draw up a bunch of different fronts and, you know, different rotations and, you know, pr how pressures would, would affect my, the, like my scheme and like the plays I want to run. Um, it's, it's kind of weird working in a profession where, you know, you work really, really hard on trying to find something that's going to work. And then you say, mm, let me undo this. Right. And then erase, scratch, whatever. And then, you know, you, you come back with a product that you think is going to be a little bit better. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely way more in camps and defensive stuff than I am offensive. That's cool. And I, I guess on the offensive side of the ball, you're an offensive coordinator. This is, I want to ask this in a general way. It might sound like a stupid question, um, but I just want to keep it as bird's eye view as possible. Where did your playbook come from? It's a recycling bin, man. Um, I, I think that any coach that tells you they have an original thought, um, isn't telling the truth. I mean, that may be intentional or unintentional, but dude, all, all of football, it's recycling bin. You know, you go in and, you know, you see something on TV here. Oh, this might work. Let me try it in practice. You know, it hits in practice against the defensive scout team. And, okay, we'll see if it works next week in practice. Okay, it's worked for the second week in a row. You know, you, you scout the team you're playing that week, and you put it in, and it goes from there, and it evolves. And, you know, I, I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again, like the best coaches don't, force you know what they want to run on their personnel they get to know their players and their personnel how they move in space how they you know kind of their their shortcomings and, and their weaknesses and then they, they apply their scheme based off of that so speaking selfishly you know boys latin is one of the top lacrosse programs in the nation we have a bunch of multiple sport athletes a bunch of lax dudes my guys can move in space really really well i run an air raid offense because it's the best thing that my guys can do and if it wasn't the best thing that my guys could do, I wouldn't run it. Um, so my playbook is, you know, composed of things that I like, a skeleton of things that I really, really like, <clears throat> excuse me, that I think are very effective on a week to week basis. And, you know, we make some modifications week in, week out based on, you know, opponent scout and, you know, injury report, you know, things like that. You got to You got to adapt and roll with the punches. Um, but it, it's, it's really, I get the most of what we do from what my, my kids do on the field. Monday through Thursday. Speaking of some of those kids, it's it's interesting. It's always nice to see an MIAA guy in the league. I'm an MIAA guy myself. I didn't play football, but uh, my brother went to an MIAA school. He played with a, a guy who made it to the NFL. You, you, I think there's a, a Gilman guy in there right now. So I'm curious, are there any kids right now that you're keeping an eye on that you think could maybe, maybe be playing at that highest level one day? Uh, kids that I'm currently coaching now, um, you know, short answer is no, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, in the last 10 years, boys Latin has three alum that have played in the NFL, uh, which is really neat. Um, with this past NFL draft and free agent signing, um, there was three former players of mine, uh, from the 2016, you know, Calvert Hall team that I was coaching on of dudes that are playing in the NFL right now. Um, there's, I think three or four other kids from other MIA institutions from that same class, right. That are currently, 
you know, in camp with certain teams or got drafted by certain teams from around the league. So the model is working and there's a little bit of method to the madness of the recruiting. And as to why this is such a hotbed, um, it's because the resources we have institutionally, they work. And it's, you know, the level of coaching here, it works. The, the spirit of competition here, it works. Um, so it is really, really cool when you get to see, you know, a kid that you, you know, recruited as a middle schooler that you coached as a high schooler walking across, you know, stage one draft day or, you know, day two or day three getting drafted name across the screen. Like, that's still sick. Um, and it's, it's very rewarding, too. Um, you know, it doesn't happen much. Like I said, we produce way better and way more um, just, you know, good human beings than we do good football players. Um, but it is really nice when they when they become the, the highest level of football player, you know, in the league. How quickly do you know if they could make a jump to the NCAA at least? Uh, pretty much right away. Um, are they different, right? And, uh, you know, are they different in their, their measurables? You know, not necessarily like physical size because that's going to change. Um, I've never met someone as a 14-year-old that's the exact same size when they're 18. Um, you know, they're going to grow in some capacity. Um, but like just how they move, their, their twitch, how they like to compete, their drive, their focus, it really is full package. Like the academics matter, um, you know, just everything, everything matters. But when you watch film or, you know, you see in person a kid, you're like, okay, he's not like the others. And you're like, he's going to do something. He's going to play somewhere for sure. For sure. And there, sometimes I'm, I'm wrong. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if this kid can play the next level. I tell college coaches that, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to risk my reputation. I don't think he's a dude. I love the kid. I'll do anything for him in the world. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's for you. And then he proves me wrong. And, you know, he has a great summer going into his senior season, has great senior film, right? Grows, works his tail off, and he has an opportunity to play the next level. Like that's happened before too, you know? So I will say I'm not always right, but usually it's just the eye test and you can kind of just feel, okay, he's a little bit different than the other guys in this locker room. He's going to, he's going to be a guy. Do you play any role in the college recruiting process at all? Absolutely. Um, so, um, our institution is, is great. And, you know, my administration is great. And, um, the rest of you know, the guys I coach with on staff, not everyone's like in the building. Um, I'm one of those high school football coaches that is like super blessed to be able to teach and coach in the same place. So like I work in the building um, and, and we do have really, really strong recruiting ties. We have, you know, great, uh, great book of contacts, I guess. Um, and, you know, we hit them up regularly. They hit us up regularly. Like, hey, like who's doing what in the DMV right now? You have any names for me or how's everything going? Like, what are your guys like? And just keeping that, that consistent you know, communication with like, like guys I know from coaching collegiately or just maybe guys that don't know from the industry, we take initiative, you know, we take initiative and, you know, we go to war for our kids. Right. So you know, we're on Twitter, we're sending emails, we're going on, you know, schools, websites. If we don't know a guy at a certain school, usually we can get away with like knowing a guy, like we know, we know people somewhere, like someone on staff has some type of connection to somebody at this school or that school. Um, or, you know, you know, a guy who knows a guy and you can get in touch with someone indirectly and they'll come to the school and, you know, you have the transcripts ready to go. As soon as they walk in, boom, here you go. Here's the transcripts, um, you know, based on the time in the calendar year with certain compliance rules, uh, certain coaches can or cannot talk to certain kids at different times. 
So they'll just say, I just want to pass by, you know, so-and-so or bump into so-and-so and, you know, kid will walk, happen to walk by my office or something like that. They'll see somebody in there. And, um, r- really it's just the college coaches coming and talking to us and, um, you know, we give them the transcript, show them the film if they need to see a f- the film again and, um, you know, all that good stuff. So that way, you know, sometimes you hear, oh yeah, I'm a 3-0. And then you show up to the school and the kid's a 2-5 or 2-6. And it's like, that's yeah, a big difference. It's a big difference, especially at a Division three school or Division two school. You know, Division two is unique because it's, you know, you can still give athletic funding, like athletic merit. Um, but they package it really well with like household need and academic merit. So like that, that accurate GPS, they call it a, a pre-read. An academic pre-read is really, really important. Um, and what that allows is like, it's a very authentic, very verified form that a college coach can send to his admissions office and be like, look, this is who I got. This is real. Like this is his real GPA and shows his courses and all, all of his grades. And it's not just hearsay of what the kid, oh yeah, I'm, I'm around at three. No, it's like, it's legit. Um, so we play a really, really, I think, large role in the recruiting process for these kids. Um, and unfortunately, there's there's a, a, a dull dull side of that blade. Um, you know, sometimes college or I'm sorry, high school coaches don't have those resources a lot, and that that's one of the things that we kind of boast and pride ourselves on providing. That's what sets us apart from maybe some of the other schools in our marketplace that are like like public schools, for instance. And I'm not saying that public schools don't get kids to the next level. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's public schools out there that will have larger signing classes than a lot of private schools. I want to, I want to be abundantly clear in that. I mean, no disrespect to any, any public schools out there. It's just that private schools have different resources. And speaking, you know, from the I perspective here, you know, myself at Boys Latin, I know what I'm able to do for my kids in, in terms of recruiting. Um, and I just, I, I know that's unique. Definitely. You, uh, I guess like, relating to this whole topic, you had some thoughts, I believe, if I remember correctly, on the NIL last year that I don't know if I totally agreed with. And I'm curious, you know, it's been a year. There's been some, I think, really good things that have come out of it. I think there's been some controversy that has come out of it. So have your thoughts evolved on that at all? Where where are you at with that right now? Yeah, it's unique, man. I remember our last conversation about that. And, you know, it's still kind of new. You know, it was pretty fresh to the scene and we didn't really know how it was going to go down. And, um, you know, Quinn, yours is Aston Martin. Did you see his car? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Dude. What a whip, man. That's crazy. Yeah. These kids are, you know, um, you know, they're, they're taking advantage of a great opportunity in time. I think there's going to be very soon some reinforcement on what's allowed and what's not allowed. We're starting to see it. Um, but I, I think if anything, it's going to start becoming an infringement on amateurism. And if it's not already at the high school level, like it's not at my high school, (laughs) I can say that for sure. uh, Just because we don't have necessarily that, you know, type of talent here. Um, But, you know, some of the big dog national powerhouse football programs, you know, I I don't know what's going on behind closed doors and in, in terms of, you know, getting kids to start forming an affinity for certain programs and, and whatnot. Um, and then again, that's just all speculation. Um, I think it's a big distraction. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it does provide great opportunity for a lot of young men, um, you know, to get paid for the value that they bring to an institution. So I can, I can see both ends of it. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation. And I've been thinking about it a little bit weirdly with like the U.S. Open going on this week where it's an open tournament and like, the you know, you get these amateurs that get in and sometimes it's a great story. But you got this one guy, you know, some people that aren't like hardcore golf fans might not know, Stuart Hagestad, who's an amateur, but he really should be a professional. He's good enough to be one. He just doesn't want to be because he, you know, doesn't want to have to go through that. And he wouldn't be a very good pro compared to like the legendary amateur that he is. So I think it's a, a very interesting kind of pro versus amateur conversation. I think it's, it's kind of a, a cool dynamic to the point that you made there. And uh, it's a conversation and an argument that I don't think is going anywhere. Exactly right. And um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be just you know super interesting to see how it all unfolds, see what kind of legislation comes down from the NCAA uh, what type of restrictions, regulations come to be. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that like there's never been more of a fire lit for like young, like young men playing football because they see what they can attain for now, for the time being, they see what they can attain. Um, and I, I think that does inspire a lot of hard work. And I think that that's kind of the, the carrot that dangles a little bit, you know, for some of these guys, like they see that, Oh my God, I want to be that guy. You know, I want to be in that Aston Martin or I want to be able to get paid just for going to a certain school. Um, and in certain institutions have it like you don't even have to be a dude. You don't even have to be the dude. You don't even have to be a football player. If you play any sport, there's, you know, equal distribution where, you know, each student athlete is going to be given X, Y, Z. And that's how certain schools are approaching the NIL situation right now. I know that for a fact. And um, it's <laughs> it's going to be really, really interesting to see, man. Yeah, it's a can of worms. It's like, it kind of, you know, I, I I totally see like where some of your concerns come from, but I'm also like, I like it in the sense that it brings a lot of stuff that was already happening into the light a little bit. It regulates it in the way that I'm like for legalization of some other things where it's like, all right, let's legalize this, let's regulate it and let people do it in a way that is a little bit more kosher. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting when it does start to get regulated a little bit more, I guess, to your point there. But I guess leading into the next question, like, do you expect it to affect like your future as a coach at all? And like, how are you kind of planning for that? Um, yeah, I am. Yeah. So short answer. Yes. I think it's going to get to a point where, you know, like I said, like, I mean, we have, we have guys that go, we put guys to the next level, guys put themselves to the next level rather. And we help facilitate that every single year. So we, we will always have a signing class. We'll always have guys that play college football that come through our program. Yes. Um, Will we have guys year in and year out that are being like heavily, heavily, heavily sought after and recruited by the power fives? Probably not. Safe answer, no there. Um, so I don't know at what point, you know, I'll have a college coach in my office and being like, look, like, you know, this awaits, you know, just let so-and-so know, you know what I'm saying? What's on the other end of this decision could be dollar sign. You know, I don't think it's ever going to be that, you know, blunt. Um, but I, I can definitely see that, you know, transfer culture is real. It's real. The college level, it's real at the high school level. Um, there's transfer rules, right? Both levels. Um, the high school level, right? Like if you transfer from one MIA institution to another, you have to sit out a full year. If you, if you play at the varsity level, if you played one varsity snap, you cannot go and play a varsity snap at another MIA institution. You can't do it. You can't, even if it's a smaller school or you're going up to a bigger school, like you can't do it anymore. You also can't reclassify. You have four for four. You have four years to play four years of high school football. Um, those are rules that have changed in recent years. Um, however, I think that certain colleges that do have relationships with big dog, right, going back to the, the national top percentage of high school programs, it can be like, look, 
you get kids here, they're going to get this. And then I, I think you might see kids that look to transfer out, you know, from the MIAA, incredible institutions, you know, great coaching, great academics, super high level of ball. Yeah, sure. It checks every box, but they might want to transfer to a national powerhouse because they just know that the yield percentage is greater at a national powerhouse to power five programs. They see what power five programs are doing from a materialistic point. Right. And I think that does incentivize, um, bonus of that is that you're going to have a generation of athlete that is like uh, way more financially literate. I think that's going to bring about um, a lot of positive change, hopefully for a lot of communities. Um, just because, you know, you, you hear these, you know, these old stories about, you know, athletes that, you know, go get to the league and then they go broke. And, you know, there's a lot of really cool, you know, documentaries and stories out about that. Um, that's fascinating for me. I teach financial literacy. So this is a hot topic of conversation a lot in class. And I get to rap with my students about this a lot and kind of get their perspective on stuff. So it's going to be neat to see. It's not going to affect me. I don't think like personally, like me, like Tony Renato anytime soon. Um, but I, I, I think it definitely will start affecting some of the top programs on the, on the national level if it hasn't already. So with that, I guess we can get you out of here with uh, my last question, which is just kind of asking what is next for you? What's uh, what's in the future plans and how are you expecting to uh, make some of those short-term and long-term goals come to fruition? I know you've uh, you've got your eye on both of them all the time. So what's the, uh, what's the deal there? Yeah, man. Um, I'm bringing something with me and I'm taking something with me every single day, just like I learned when I was laying carpet. Um, next thing for me is winning the championship on you know November 21st. And everything I'm doing between now and then is going to lead to that. That's the expectation. That's the standard. Um, <laughs> I actually, um, I bought a time clock and a bunch of like manual time punch cards for uh, my guys this year in the locker room. You know, they're going to clock in and out every single day. And we're going to, you know, we're going to really reinforce that type of working mentality in everything we do. And, you know, I'm, I am where my feet are. I'm putting my anchor in the water, you know, boys Latin. Um, you know, there's going to be year three for me here. Um, that was one of the reasons why I got out of, you know, coaching collegiately. Like I loved it. It was sick, but I wanted a better work-life balance. Um, you know, I wanted to have my cake and eat it too a little bit. And I, I like being impactful as an educator at the high school level as well. Uh, so I don't have any plans to go anywhere, man. Just going to put some numbers on that banner. Very cool. So I guess, uh, also before we get out of here, how about you go ahead and, uh, plug the program a little bit, plug yourself as a recruiter on social media, all that good stuff. Use this platform to, uh, to help yourself a little bit. Go for it. Yeah, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach Ronaldo, and uh, same thing on Instagram. You know, like I said, social media is crazy. So I got a, I got an Instagram Coach Ronaldo on Instagram as well. Um, I don't post a lot, but I see a lot. And uh, you know, for anyone listening that's you know curious about how to get into the profession, or you know how to help someone they know get recruited, or they just want to talk ball, you know, I encourage anybody to reach out. Um, I'm always there to help any way I can. Very cool. It's always good talking ball with you, buddy. We got to gotta make this happen more often. I feel like the once a year thing, we got to speed that clip up a little bit. But uh, like I said, always a great time and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, you guys talk to some pretty, uh, you guys have a lot of like pretty, pretty big guests, especially lately, man, you know, uh, and, and I do listen to, I do listen to your content like frequently. I keep up to date with you guys and you, know, you guys do a lot of good stuff. So, I mean, uh, I gotta, I gotta win a few more games. I feel like before I'm like, you know, more than the annual appearance, but I appreciate the opportunity. I'm always available and I love talking to you guys. Absolutely. I appreciate the compliment. The check is in the mail for that. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, sooner rather than later. All right. Thanks, man. See ya.
Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Everything out of me. They gonna get a Super Bowl out of me. I need that.